In the last two shiurim, pikuach nefesh on Shabbos is something that we take very seriously. And of course, we would be allowed to do any life-saving activities on Shabbos, even though we would be in violation of many malachos. We would be allowed to do that, and we would be encouraged to do that, as the Shulchan Aruch says, it is a mitzvah to do so on Shabbos. Now, the Ramban and the Magid Mishnah lay out the parameters of what can be done, and they give us a very significant and important chiddush. So they talk about, let's say you have something that the patient requests that is not of medicinal benefit to them. Now, of course, driving the patient to the hospital is allowed giving the patient the medication that they need or doing turning on a machine that they're going to need to help them breathe or whatever it may be, of course that's allowed. The question then becomes, what if the patient asks me as they're lying in the hospital bed, I'm not comfortable, can you move the bed for me? Can you adjust the height? Can you turn um, the TV on? Can you do something else? Now, if the TV is not gonna be turned on, is the patient gonna die? No. If the bed is not the way they want it to be, are they going to die? Of course not, but they won't be comfortable. So would I be allowed to do something for the patient whose life is in danger when the activity that they're asking me to do is not at all of life-saving measures? That is the question that is raised by the Ramban. Look over here, where the Ramban tells us the following. When you engage with a patient on Shabbos that has an issue that their life is in danger, what are you allowed to do with them? You are allowed to do anything that you would otherwise do for them during the week. There should be no distinction between the week and Shabbos. And he says, Mechalalin Shabbos ve'enish alim klal. Says the Ramban, you would violate Shabbos, do whatever they need, and we don't ask any questions. More famously, this is not quoted in the name of the Ramban, but rather in the name of the Magid Mishnah. Magid Mishnah lived in the 1300s. He was what they refer to as Mibes Midrash Roshel HaRamban. He was influenced very much by the Talmud HaRamban. And he writes the following, look at number Beis. Anim Mabatol Daiti Mipnei Daitol Ufishaim if you have somebody whose life is in danger on Shabbos, you're allowed to do anything. It's called kol tzarachal. You can do whatever it is that the patient needs. Even though if I don't move the bed, even though if I don't turn on the TV, the patient will not be in danger. But still, this is something that we would definitely allow. Says the Magen Mishnah, that is an important concept to keep in mind. Now, how do we paskin? If you look in the Shulchan Aruch, the Shulchan Aruch himself writes this as well in Simen Shin Chavches, and he says, Osino kol shirigilin lasos lebechol. He paskins like the Magen Mishnah and like the Ramban, that you are allowed to do whatever is needed for a patient, and we don't limit it to only the life-saving activities that are necessary for the patient to survive. We would allow you to do other things as well, and that is what the Magen Avram reiterates in the 1600s, and that is the opinion of Reb Chaim Soloveitchik, who felt very strongly. The Rav followed Reb Chaim's opinion, which was that when you allow Chilo Shabbos for a patient whose life is in danger, he says, we would allow it to the max. And we would say, you're allowed to do anything that the patient asks for that they feel is important for them. If you look here in Amr Dalit, which is Rav Avadi Yosef, I put this all on here because I think it's fascinating to see the development of how things came to be and how the postcom of our generation actually deal with it. So he says, after a very lengthy tshuva, both in the Abiyah Omer as well as in the Echavedas, his two different tshuvas for him, he writes, Maskana Dedina, what is the bottom line? After all the presentation of the sugya, of the questions of the issues, bottom line is, if I have somebody whose life is in danger, Shabbos, that you're allowed to violate Shabbos, since we know that you would be allowed to violate Shabbos to turn on the defibrillator or to turn on the vent or to do something that is of very obvious and definite life-saving measures, 
So too, he says, So too, you would be allowed to violate a malacha in order just to alleviate pain or discomfort that this patient is undergoing as well. And he writes, He says, we should not be machmer. That is the opinion of the Magad Mishnah. It's following in that school of thought that we assume that we would extend the parameters of what we would be allowed to do for a patient even way beyond what is a definite life-saving activity. The Mishnabura tapers it down a little bit and the Mishnabura says, well, this seems to be a very big discussion in the Rishonim and seems to be a little bit unclear and after all, we are potentially dealing with the Malacha de Araisa and therefore the Mishnabura says, when we're coming to an Isur de Araisa, maybe it would be better if you did not violate an Isur de Araisa for that purpose. But for an Isidur Abanan, he says we would permit it. So for example, if the Chola tells me, I would like you to light a fire in the room. So is that an Isidur Araisa or the Rabbanan? That is an Isidur Araisa. Says the Mishnabura, it would be better if you did not do that. It would be better if you went and asked the non-Jew to do it for you, which would only be an Isidur Abanan of Hamir the Nachri. Of asking a non-Jew to do a Malacha for me is only a rabbinic prohibition on Shabbos. So that is the compromised position that the Mishnabura comes to. But again, as we said, this is a major, major dispute, a big discussion. Rabbi Vadi Yosef and many others feel that Osamo called Sarafa, we can do whatever is necessary. So say, for example, you have, let's say, Rabbi Shlomo Zalman writes, did I put it on here? Number above. Shlomo Zalman says, what right do I have to give a patient morphine on Shabbos? Why do we administer morphine? Only to alleviate the pain. But if the person is going to be in pain the rest of Shabbos, they'll survive. They're not going to die from the pain. Okay, so you can't enjoy Shabbos. I don't enjoy Shabbos when I can't go driving my car either. Why? What do you mean? But to putting not a morphine pill, you have to hook up an IV. So to hook up an IV, the person's going to bleed. So how am I allowed to do that? How can I put in a morphine when, of course, that is not saving a life? All it's doing is alleviating pain. Or, for example, if you have a woman who's in labor on Shabbos and she asks for an epidural. Now, is it possible for a woman to give birth without an epidural? Of course it's possible. Is it comfortable for her to give birth without an epidural? Not at all. The epidural is going to alleviate the pain. So what right do we have on Shabbos to administer an epidural when we know that in doing so we are going to be violating Shabbos as we put it into, as we put in the injection? Why should we be allowed to do that? Says Epshulam before we have your questions, look over here what he says. In number Vav, in the Shemir Shabbos Kachasi, he quotes him, when you administer morphine, you are not doing that to heal the patient. You are doing it only to be able to alleviate the pain and discomfort that the patient has. It would seem to me that you would be allowed to violate Shabbos to put in the morphine drip. Why? Listen to the svar that he says, because we know if a person is in such discomfort, if a person is in so much pain, sometimes that will impact the physical health and the healing process. We know that to be the case. Research has shown that when people are not in a good emotional state, if they're not positive, if they don't feel the way that we can make them feel most comfortable, it's going to be very hard for them to heal properly. And therefore he says, Mistaver would seem to him, Shakal hargaz hakeevim. If you have a woman who's in labor and needs an epidural or requested, or if you have another patient whose life is in danger but says that they want us to give them a morphine drip, we would be allowed to do that because it is possible that that, if we don't give them that alleviating uh, substance, perhaps we will be uh, extending 
the healing process. We won't let it go into effect as efficiently as it should. And therefore he says, that is why we would say that that would be okay. Now the poskim discuss a number of technical reasons why we'd be allowed to violate Shabbos for one of these interventions. So Shlomo Zalman said the reason why is because it's possible that the emotional distress that they're going to be under because of the pain is going to slow down the healing process physically and therefore that's part of the effort of Pikuach Nefesh. There is another um, suggestion that is given by the Abnei Nezer and others and they say the reason why is because they introduce us to a concept of Yisuva Daita. What exactly does Yisuva Daita mean? Yisuva Daita is a concept that we learn from the Gemara. The Gemara Masecha Shabbos tells the following story. Let's say you have a woman who's in labor. She comes to the hospital and of course, we're allowed to tend to her on Shabbos. We have to make sure to do everything possible to make sure that she's healthy, the baby's healthy, all sounds good. Now, let's say the woman turns to us and says, uh, can you please turn the lights on in the labor and delivery room? Says the Gemara, we would be allowed to turn the lights on. Ask the Gemara, of course you're allowed to turn the lights on. Do you expect that a woman is going to have a baby and we're going to be able to care for her properly when the lights are off? So if she asks me to turn on the lights, of course I turn on the lights. Why does the Gemara even have to say it? It's so obvious. Answers the Gemara, she's asking just because she wants it to be more comfortable. It's going to calm her down if we turn the lights on. So the Magad Avram asks, what are you talking about? If the lights are on in the room, then what's she asking? If the lights are off in the room, we should turn them on without her asking. We shouldn't deliver babies without lights on, correct? We're all in agreement? Yes. So then... What exactly is the Gemara talking about? What does it mean it's going to calm the woman down? Listen to what the Magan Avram says. Says the Magan Avram, you're talking about a woman who's blind, who can't see well. Not totally blind, she can't see well. In her perception, she thinks that it's too dark in the room. But the lights are on. And we're in the operating room. And not just the lights are on, the big shining lights over the operating table are on. And the woman turns to the doctors and nurses and says... I'm not comfortable right now. I think there's not enough light in here. I think you need more light to do this properly. And we know that it's not true. And we are all looking at the lights and saying, we can do this perfectly. We know what we're doing. We do this every day. These are the lights that we use any other day of the week. What is she talking about? But she says, I'm not comfortable. And she insists that you turn on another set of lights or you come and you light a candle right next to the bed. Says the Shulchan Aruch, based, I'm sorry, says the Magan Avram, that's what the Gemara means. That the woman is asking for something that has no medical reason to listen to her. But it's only to be miyashiv daita, it's only to calm her down. And she will not be calm unless we do this for her, even though it has nothing to do with her medical problem or medical issue that may arise. We're just fine the way we are. These are the lights that we use every other day of the week. Still, the finish is you'd be allowed to light a candle on Shabbos just because she said so even though there is no medicinal benefit to what it is that we're doing. We will not do our jobs more efficiently, but still, that's what we refer to as Yusuva Daita, as having the ability to calm a woman down who's in labor. We'd be allowed to do that even though there is nothing really connected to her prognosis or to her process of labor that she's in that will be helped by what it is that we're doing. And that is another reason that the Post can give as to why it is that we would be allowed to administer morphine or something of that nature on Shabbos because we have a concept of Yisuvah Daita, of calming a patient. And if the patient is going to feel calm this way, we would allow it. So Rav Asher Weiss once told me, how far do you take that? What does it mean? So if somebody makes a request, a woman is about to go to the hospital and on her way in, as she's getting into the ambulance, she says to them, you know, I'd be much more comfortable if you drove my parents' house and you picked up my mom 
I would like her to be in the delivery room with me. So is that a reasonable request or unreasonable? And you could say, it's Shabbos. What do you mean? We're going to drive by your mom's house and pick her up? Why, why would we do that? Or you could say, well, if it's going to help you have support in the labor and delivery room and you feel that that will help you give birth in a more comfortable and natural way, then we would go pick her up. So what do you say? What do you say? Pick the mom up. Sounds reasonable. Now, change the case. What if the woman says on the way, okay, instead of taking me in the ambulance, I would like you to go rent a bus, a school bus, and go pick up all of my neighbors because I would love for everyone to be in the labor and delivery room together with me. It would really make it a very nice atmosphere. It would be wonderful. I don't know which woman would want that. But let's say a woman would say such a thing. Would you say that's reasonable or unreasonable? Now, it's true. Having 50 friends in the room will probably calm her down if that's what she wants, but that's ridiculous. Nobody on a normal circumstance would ask for such a thing. So you have to really understand where to draw the line between those two parameters. On the one hand, we are allowed to do certain activities that will help that will help calm the patient down. On the other end, you have to think about it with very careful eyes and ask yourself, is that reasonable what the person is asking for or are they saying something that's just totally outrageous, something that they're taking advantage of the system because they know that they can when they're in labor. We're going to listen to anything they say. So that is the question that needs to be considered. So again, why is it that we would allow some of these non-medicinal factors to be done on Shabbos? Either because we're concerned that someone's discomfort is going to hold back their healing process. Number two, the reason why is because of Yeshiva Das. We do have a special dispensation to do certain things on Shabbos that are going to help calm a patient down. And number three, the reason Rav Shlomo Zalman gives, if you look here in number Ches, Rav Shlomo Zalman writes the following very interesting Chiddush. Why is it that we allow any kind of um, measure to be done to a Chodosh Yeshba even if it's outside of the actual medications or outside of the actual treatments that they need? Why would we allow that? He says, skip down a line, Mipnea Chashash, fascinating. Because we're concerned, Shema Yitu Lefa'amim, Viyimnu Milasos Davar Avur Hachole. Sometimes a patient is going to ask for something and you're going to make the wrong call. And you're going to say, oh, that's not really necessary. They don't really need that. And meanwhile, you're making a mistake. So now the patient is asking me, can you please adjust my bed because I'm not comfortable? I'm going to say, no, no, I'm sorry, I can't. Well, you're not going to say you won't be comfortable. Next time the patient is going to say, please adjust the bed. And the reason why is because they're aspirating and they need to sit up in the bed because they're choking on their saliva. Right? So maybe you're going to make a mistake. And because of that concern that you don't know every single time that the reason the patient is asking for this is because maybe the life is in danger or maybe because they just want to be more comfortable. Therefore, says of Shlomo Zalman, that is why we would not take any chances and we would allow kol tzorche hachola to be done like the opinion of the Magad Mishnah and the Shulchan Aruch as we mentioned. Yes, questions? Yeah. The Archa Shabbos raises a very interesting question. Where he wants to know, let's say somebody has some kind of injury on Shabbos and now they require stitches to close it up. To wait till after Shabbos to have the stitches is potentially dangerous. The bleeding is so heavy that if you don't have the stitches put in on Shabbos, it could be very dangerous. But he says the following. It depends what type of, of cut it is. Sometimes you could wait. But what he wants to know is the following. Stitches happens to be a very complicated Shabbos issue. But I'm saying we're, we're talking about a case where like it's a cholosh yesh masakana. If we don't stitch it up, 
What? It's obvious. It's obvious that if we don't stitch it up, it is actually dangerous for the individual. However, he writes, everyone who is involved in administering stitches will tell you that once you stitch up most of it, or whatever, once you get to a certain point, it's good enough. And the rest that they're stitching up is only cosmetic. It's only because they want it to heal nicely. So what heter is there to do the cosmetic part of the stitches, which is not medically required? And the only reason we're doing it is because they have perfected the art of stitching so well that on a Monday afternoon when they do stitches, they want it to come out so perfectly that there shouldn't be a start. So what about on Shabbos? Would he be allowed to do that or not? So the Arch of Shabbos discusses that, and he says over here, Lenin Mikra Shal Adam. When you have a situation, number test, you're concerned that the person may get an infection because they have an open wound. So you need to have the stitches put in on Shabbos. He says, for sure, that is a situation of pikuach nefesh. And let's say the doctor says, in order to take you out of the danger, all we need to do is give you 15 stitches. But they want to put in an extra five so that you won't have a scar that is going to remain behind. So would you be allowed to do the extra five stitches after you're no longer saving the person's life? He writes, He says, I don't understand why we would allow it. What does this have to do with pikuach nefesh? The life is already saved. We did the first 15 stitches and now you're healthy, you're safe. However, then he quotes from Shlomo Zaman Arbach and he says, it's stopping Pidavar. Shlomo Zaman Arbach wasn't so sure. And he says that Kivan Dehutra Etsem Tfiras Hapetsa Mishim Chashash Zihum Shiesh Pikuach Nefesh Yesh Lahatir Lasosos Betsura Hatova Biyoser. Once we allow you to stitch up the patient because their life is in danger, then we want you to do it in the best possible way. We're not going to tell you, oh, you have to count every stitch and make sure you really need to do that. No, a doctor doesn't work that way. When a doctor is doing stitches, they're going to do it the way that they normally give the stitches. And therefore, he says, Rishlamah Zalman was of the opinion that perhaps when we allow you to give the 15, that also includes allowing you to give the 20, allowing you to give the extra five, even though those extra five are only cosmetic. He says that would be similar to some of the, uh, some of the possibilities that we just mentioned of why we would allow a doctor to do even more than he is medically necessitated or required to do. Question, yeah? When we said that we are Mechal Shabbos for Pikuach Nefesh, that means not only for a definite Pikuach Nefesh, as we said from the Gemara, it means even a Suffolk Pikuach Nefesh as well. And the Shulchan Aruch writes that in Simen Shin Chav Ches. The Shulchan Aruch says that we assume that Afilu Suffolk, even if we're not sure whether or not this is a fatal injury, whether or not this condition is fatal, we have to treat that person on Shabbos anyway. The problem is when you open up that boundary of Suffolk Pikuach Nefesh, that becomes very undefined. If someone is having a heart attack, just to keep things simple, if someone's having a heart attack, we know that that's Pikuach Nefesh. Now, how far would you take it to say that this is considered a Suffolk Pikuach Nefesh and therefore I should violate Shabbos? The Chazonish brings up a very interesting issue. Says the Chazonish, let's say we don't have something that is a condition in front of us. So says the Chazonish, go back in time. When was it when everybody was being fired for not coming to work on Shabbos? 1950s, 1930s, when was that? What? Around then. Sometime around then. I don't remember the exact details. 
And someone who's listening online is going to send me an email with a guru. I got it. Okay, it doesn't make a difference. Whenever that was in America, that Jews had to skip work every Shabbos and then were fired on Sunday for not coming to work. Correct? We're all familiar with the stories. So the question is, I could potentially say that that's Pikuach Nefesh. I have to go to work on Shabbos. Why? In a concentration camp, was a Jew allowed to go work on Shabbos? Even though it says, the answer is, yes. Why? Because if he doesn't go to work, he's going to be shot. So that's clear. Over here, am I allowed to go to work on Shabbos in normal times? No. Maybe in the early days in America, I could have said, this is borderline pikuach nefesh. What do you mean pikuach nefesh? Why is it pikuach nefesh? The answer is, if I'm going to lose my job, maybe I won't get another job next week, and then I won't have enough money to buy food for my family, I'm going to be homeless, I'm going to end up, members of my family are going to die because I lost my job last Shabbos. So maybe you should say, I'm allowed to go to work on Shabbos, because I'm concerned that maybe it's going to lead down the line to an issue of pikuach nefesh. Or at least I have a suffix in my mind that it may land there. No, so what do you say? You think it's a little far-fetched. Imagine if you were that person who's actually getting fired and doesn't know what's going to be. Not so far-fetched. So in retrospect, you may say it's far-fetched. But if you're the one living through it, I see why you'd be concerned. I have a bunch of little kids at home. I have to feed them. I have no other way to make a parnasa. What am I supposed to do? I can't get a job. Maybe I should go to work. So the Chazonish discusses this. Look at this in the Chazonish, where he says, if you look here in number Yud Aleph, the Chazonish writes, Says the Chazonish, you have to be mindful of the fact that sometimes what we want to call Pikuach Nefesh is not necessarily a Pikuach Nefesh in front of us right now. We're not always dealing with such an obvious scenario where someone's having a heart attack and we need to treat them right away. We're talking about a distant possibility. And if we're going to take that to the extreme, then every Jew should go to work on Shabbos in America. He's writing in the 1930s. Why? Because he says, a Jew can say to himself, He says, a Jew can say to himself, if I don't go to work, I'm going to be fired. If I'm fired, I'm not going to have any money. If I don't have any money, I'm not going to be able to buy food. I'm not going to be able to live in my house. And then I'm going to be a homeless outside. I'm going to die. Now, is that conceivable? Of course it's conceivable. It's possible. Is it likely? It depends who you are. If you're a very talented person who has the ability to always hustle and find another job, then maybe for you it's less likely. If you really don't know how to do these things and after you lose five jobs in a row, you're just going to give up and have nothing to do. So then maybe it's different. So the Chazanish discusses this here and he says, you have to realize that when we talk about this general category of Safi Pikuach Nefesh, when the pikuach nefesh is not so clearly defined and it's not so much in front of us right now, you have to be very, very careful where to draw the line. Ubechlal, and he says, can you imagine if in America there was a sign up in every shul that said, I know that usually it says, Losasa kamalacha, however, every Jew must go to work on Shabbos morning. Can you imagine the chilul Hashem? Says the chazonish. Everybody in the world knows that Jews don't work on Shabbos. And now all of a sudden, all the Jews in America are going to be working on Shabbos because they have no choice. So says the Chazanish, you have to factor that in. Now, was it a Chilul Hashem in the concentration camps when they did work on Shabbos? No, that's not a Chilul Hashem. They did what they were supposed to do. So he says, you have to weigh each scenario. And it's possible that things like this are going to really depend on the individual. It's going to be a case-by-case basis whether or not we are going to allow this. So how do you define it? It's not exactly so clear. And Rav Moshe writes in a tshuva, and a Rechaim Chelek Aleph, and Igris Moshe, 
Chelek Aleph means this is one of the first issues that he dealt with. So Moshe writes in the Igris Moshe that Tali Beteva Ha'ada. It really sometimes will depend on what kind of personality you are, on what kind of health you have, on what kind of possibilities you're going to have. And therefore, Moshe says, he thinks that this is something that you have to look at very uh, sensitively because it's not a one-size-fits-all answer that's going to address every scenario that comes up on Shabbos. Sometimes it really depends on the individual. Let's see what Shlomo Zalman says over here in Amber Yud Beis, where he tries also to, to define what the parameters of this would be. So say, for example, he says, Shlomo Zalman wants to know, how would you define what is actually going to fit into the category of Safek Pikoach Nefesh, and what perhaps not? Where do you draw the line? So I remember a number of years ago, Rav Asher Weiss had the following Shiloh. Very interesting Shiloh. This was actually when his wife was in Sloan Kettering. And this Shiloh came in from Rabbi Kurtzdag, who's the chief rabbi in South Africa. Chief rabbi, the head of the basin. Rabbi, what's his name? Is the chief rabbi? Rabbi Goldstein. Rabbi Goldstein. So he's the chief rabbi. I think Rabbi Kurtzdag is like the Al-Bezdin, maybe, something like that. So he had the following Shiloh. Here was the Shiloh. I'm not so familiar with the culture or the Jewish community in South Africa. I've never been there. But apparently it's a different kind of reality than we have here in the United States. And there, the way they reported it is that none of the members of the Jewish community use the local municipal hospitals. They all go to private hospitals. So if somebody needs some kind of treatment, they would never go to the local hospitals because there's all kinds of infections there, all kinds of problems. Nobody from the Jewish community uses those hospitals. They are starting, I'm sorry, they have a very active Hatzalah in Johannesburg. If they wouldn't have Hatzalah, people would die. The medical system there is not where it should be. It's not at all close to what they need. And that's why they started Hatzalah in Johannesburg. A new law was passed in Johannesburg. And the law is that anyone who wants to train to become a paramedic has to spend two full weeks in a hospital doing service on one of the wards, on one of the floors where they service the patients. Only after, again, you have to do whatever kinds of training. At the end of your training, you have to go for two full weeks in a row to a hospital and serve the community. Only then can they give you the accreditation to be a registered paramedic. In order for Hatzalah to run, they have to go based on the laws of Johannesburg. So they can't say, oh, we're going to make someone a paramedic even though it's illegal to do that. Of course, they were going to go along with it. The problem is, it means that for two weeks straight, if you want to become a paramedic, you need to work in the local hospital. That's going to include working on Shabbos. And we know with certainty that not a single Jew is ever going to be in any of those local hospitals. So what hatter would there be for a paramedic to work on Shabbos in a local hospital where he's not treating a single Jew in the world, and the only reason he's doing this is that he should be able to become a paramedic. And what's going to happen when he becomes a paramedic? Then he'll be able to save lives. So would there be a hetter for that or not? So let's play out the scenario. Let's say we say the answer is no. What happens then? He won't have the opportunity to save lives. But we already have 50 members of Hatzalah, as is, Hatzalah is fine right now. The concern is that in 10 years from now, as these Hatzalah members get burnt out or get too old or whatever it is, they're not able to go on calls anymore, we're going to need a new crop of paramedics, but we're not going to have them. So are we allowed to be Mechal Shabbos now because of a suffix pikuach nefesh 10 years down the line from now. As is, as things stand right now, we have enough members of Hatzalah. We have enough paramedics. 
The concern is that in 10 years from now we won't have them and then we're going to lose lives. Is that enough of a justification to violate Shabbos now in order that in 10 years from now we shouldn't land up in a situation of potential pikuach nefesh? Interesting question. Right? Now, you could say maybe over the next 10 years the law is going to change again. Just like the law changed now, the law is going to revert back. So maybe we should only worry about this in seven years from now. These are all very interesting issues, but it's hard to put our finger on where to draw the line. And that's where Shlomo Zalman writes over here. He's not sure, how do I decide? Ad Where are you going to say, no, this is going too far. This is unreasonable to say that that is considered pikuach nefesh or a suffix pikuach nefesh. That's unreasonable. It's very subjective. It's very hard to figure out what the balance really should be. Gamanochi ba'ani, says Rabbi Shlomo Zalman, I myself is tapakti tuva bazeh. I was very unsure about this issue. He says, It would seem to me that here's the way, the way we say it in Halakha is, this is the Hagdara. This is, Hagdara means, this is the, this is the way to classify the issue. This is the way that we should draw the line. Shakal shaderech rov b'nei adam levrach mizeh kibareach mepnei asakana. If most people that you know would be so scared of this issue that they would go and run to take care of it, that is called a safek pikuach nefesh. And if not, then he says, that would not be called such. So he gives an example of getting a vac- vaccination against smallpox for children. So he says, the scientists have said, have told us, that you should get the vaccination against smallpox. Good? So you get the vaccination. What if the only time that the vaccination is available, they call you up and they say, okay, we have an appointment for you on Shabbos. So should I drive my car to the hospital to get the vaccination on Shabbos? Says Rabbi Shalom we understand that smallpox is dangerous. We understand the vaccination probably helps us, but there's no reason to drive on Shabbos. Most people, if they called you on a Tuesday afternoon and you happen to be in the middle of an important meeting at work, you wouldn't drop everything you're doing to go bring your kid for the vaccination. You would ask them for a later appointment. What happens if you're living at a time, says of Shlomo Zalman, where everyone has a chance to come and they tell you, we are at a shortage and because you have a relationship with this person in the health department, therefore we're going to get you to the top of the line. And if you don't get the smallpox vaccination now, you're going to have to wait three years to get the vaccination. What would you say then? Yes. Yes. Even if it was a Tuesday afternoon when I was in the middle of an important meeting, I would drop the meeting and say, you know what? I got to go get the vaccine. So it depends, he says, what people's reactions are to the current circumstance. In normal times, if my doctor calls me up and says, come get a vaccination on Shabbos, there's no reason to go. You get the vaccination on Sunday, you get it on Tuesday, you wait another few days, not a big deal. If we're dealing with a situation where there's such a mad rush to get it, like when we had the COVID vaccine first came out, people were rushing and jostling and pushing and going to all kinds of places, legal and illegal, whatever they were doing to get the vaccine. Now, it turns out the vaccine, whatever it is or isn't, I don't know, I'm not sure, I'm not giving an opinion on it, but it seems it was very questionable, but at the time, the scientific community was very excited about it. If that was the case, the question would become, would I be allowed to be Michal Shabbos to go drive to wherever the center is and get the vaccine? Or would you say, come on, that's unreasonable. At the time, they were telling people, either you get it now or you're going to have to wait a year. We need to wait a year. Wait a year, I might die in the year from COVID. So again, it depends what kind of person you are. Now, if you're a 20-year-old healthy person who has no previous pre-existing condition, it's very different than if you're 85 years old and you have all kinds of medical complications. 
So says Rav Shlomo Zalman, the answer to these questions really needs to be dependent on whether a person would be boreach mizeko boreach sakana. Would I respond and react in a way that I feel an urgency or not? If I wouldn't, then he says, perhaps there would be no heter to do it. And if I would, then he says, that would be something that we would certainly sanction. It would be something that we would certainly allow. It's a very interesting sap that was given by Ramosha Feinstein. Ramosha writes in his Chuvas and Chelek Aleph again, he says that if somebody has a fever, so what would he call that? Pikuach nefesh or not? No. Depends how high. Correct? Depends how high. So, most people, if they have a fever, okay. I have a fever, not a big deal. You go to sleep, you hope that when you wake up, you'll feel a little better, you sleep it off a little bit, a day or two, you hope that you're going to be okay. Most of us on a Tuesday wouldn't check ourselves into the hospital. So you can't say just because it's Shabbos and I have no work today, so I may as well go check myself out. But Ramosha says, once you get to 102, that's very dangerous. That's very dangerous. And Ramosha says, 102, you absolutely have to go to the hospital. On Shabbos. Now, I don't know, you've ever had 102 fever? Your friend what? Okay. And what happened? And how's she now? She's fine. Okay. So, look at this. Very interesting. So, Rabosha says he thinks the cutoff is 102. Someone has 99, 100, not a big deal. 102? That's already dangerous. Along comes the Tzitz Eliezer. He was the Rav Waldenberg. He was the posting in Yerushalayim. He was the posting for Sharet Tzedek Hospital for many, many years. And Rav Waldenberg writes, you know, I saw this tshuva of Ramosha, and I quoted it to some of my contemporaries in Yerushalayim, and look what he writes. His palumiyod, again, everyone had the greatest respect for Ramosha, and that's why I'm surprised that he writes this way a little bit, because in other places when they quote Ramosha, they talk about him with tremendous reverence and great deference, and even if they disagree with him, there's a tremendous amount of hitnat uh, slut before they do that. But here... The Tzitz Eliezer writes that his palumiyod They were shocked by the Psaka of Ramosha and they were laughing at him. Interesting. Ramosha writes, 102 is considered to be dangerous. And therefore he says, you should be Mechal Shabbos to take care of someone who has a fever of 102. And the Tzitz Eliezer writes that he showed this to his contemporaries and they were laughing. When I told them, when I told them that it was Ramosha, Shabbos, he said that we should be Mechal Shabbos kishiyesh la'adam chom bekarov l'meyu shnayim. When someone has a fever of 102, v'shem echad choshesh gam bekarov l'meyu be'echad. And if someone's scared, even at 101, Rav Moshe said he should go to the hospital also. So they said to me, "What are you talking about? What are you? How can that be? Look at the last line. Im nabu lahatir lechal Shabbos bechol kugonda. If we're going to allow chilul Shabbos." For this, which is on, I'm sorry, this is the second side of the page. If I'm going to allow Chilo Shabbos for that, then he says, What do you mean? You're going to go to the hospital for 102 fever? Then there's going to be no Shabbos anymore. Every Shabbos something happens to someone in the community. So says Ramosha, I'm sorry, the Tzitz Eliezer feels that this Psaka of Ramosha is something that he could not accept. And therefore he said he was not comfortable. How does the Shmir Shabbos Gilchasa bring it down, bottom line? He says, he spoke to Rabbi Shlomo Zalman Arbach, Rabbi Shlomo Zalman said, look, if someone has a fever and they are undiagnosed and the doctor didn't check them out yet, then he says, 
that is considered to be a sakana. We don't know what it is. We don't know, maybe you have some terrible infection. Of course you should go to the hospital. However, he says, you already went to the doctor on Thursday. You went to the doctor on Friday. They checked you out and you know why you have the fever. And they told you, take this medication and go to sleep. They didn't tell you to stay in the hospital. They told you to go home. So when you wake up Shabbos morning, you have 102 and you know exactly why you have it. Because you already were checked out by the medical professional. So then why would we allow you to go to the hospital on Shabbos? So Shlomo Zalman says he thinks that Shabbos should be that we would allow you to do it if this was something that there was a concern about because it was still not diagnosed. But if we're dealing with something that already has a diagnosis and the doctors have already told us how to treat it or what we should be doing, then in that situation he feels that that would be something that is wholly appropriate and he agreed with Ramosha that certainly a person should uh, go to the hospital under those conditions. Now again, this is very, very tricky. How do we draw the line? The reason why it's tricky is because it's hard to really determine when it's considered to be dangerous and when it's not. And you never want to look back and say, I wish we did and I, we should have and have regrets. And that is why whenever you have a suffix, pikuach nefesh, that's a reasonable suffix that other people would be concerned about, of course you should be mechal Shabbos for anything that is necessary to be done in that particular situation. Another category of chola that you mentioned in passing was, you said somebody has terrible back pains. Somebody, who, who brought that up? You brought that up? Somebody has terrible back pains. So what is the status of somebody who has terrible back pains? Very good question. So are they going to die from the back pain? They're not going to die. Are they going to be extremely uncomfortable? They can't sit at the Shabbos table. They can't go to shul. Even if they can, they're sitting and moving around the whole time because they're uncomfortable. And the question then becomes, would we be allowed to, let's say, turn on a heating pad for them? Would we be allowed to do something that would give them some relief? That is what we refer to as a chole she'en bo sakana. You are definitely a chole. You're not functioning the normal way that you would, but you have no danger to your life. It's called a chole she'en bo sakana. Your life is not in danger in any way. So what would we allow for a chole she'en bo sakana? Yeah? Is it better if the chole does it for himself? Good question. The Aruch HaShulchan asked that question. Is it better that a chole does it for himself or does it matter if somebody else does it for them? And he says there's no difference. Once is a hetter to do chilo Shabbos, it doesn't matter if I do it or if someone else does it. It's the same thing. Good question. So here by a chola... That's a good question. Should we specifically ask the other person to do it so that they get the mitzvah? Interesting question. No, if the non-Jew is right here, then certainly we would ask the non-Jew to do it. It's a mitzvah when I'm supposed to. But the question is, how do we know when we're supposed to? That's, the, that's what we're trying to determine. So here, when I have a chola she'en bo sakana, again, that is not the same category as what we've been describing... Here, the person's life is not in danger, but they are not functioning normally. They are not able to be comfortable. They can't operate in the general fashion that they otherwise would on any other given day of the week. And therefore, that is the category that is discussed next in the Shulchan Aruch. And the Shulchan Aruch writes that when you have a Cholosh Eimbos HaKana, the Halacha is not so clear. It's a big debate in the Rishonim between the Rambam and the Ran and the Rambam. Maimonides, Nachmanides, and the Ran. So the first opinion is of the Rambam. The Rambam says, what would we allow for the sake of a chola she'en sakana? Says the Rambam, Maimonides, he writes, Malacha de Rabbanan is allowed to be performed al Yidei Yisrael. A Jew would be allowed to violate any Malacha de Rabbanan in order to take care of someone who is in that category, someone who is a chola she'en sakana. The Ram disagrees, and the Ram says, no, we wouldn't allow you to do anything. The only de Rabbanan we would allow is Amir Lenachri. You're allowed to go to a non-Jewish neighbor and ask them to do something, but a Jew would not be allowed to do anything. It doesn't matter if it's a malacha da'araisa, malacha da'rabanan. 
A Jew cannot do anything for a Cholish Sheyem Only a non-Jew would be able to be helpful. That is the opinion of the Ram. And the third opinion is of the Ramban. The Ramban is of the opinion that... Ramban, Nachmanides. Yes, the Ramban writes that we would allow you to do something... We would allow a Jew to do something in an unusual fashion, which turns it into a Isr de Rabbanu. So, what's interesting about this is that the Shulchan Aruch quotes all of those opinions. Shulchan Aruch quotes the opinion of the Rambam, he quotes the opinion of the Ran, and he quotes the opinion of the Ramban. And the problem is, they're all saying three different things. So which one is it? Right? That's a problem. You can't quote three different opinions that say different things. Then what's the bottom line? So the Shmir Shabbos Gechasa writes... There are three levels of what we should prioritize. The best thing to do when you have a choloshem or sarkana like you very aptly described. You have somebody whose back is out and they're really in a lot of pain and they're really uncomfortable, but they're not in danger. Says the Ramban, the best thing to do is to have a Jew do something ayudeshinui. That would be number one. What? Yes, number two, he says. The Shemir Shabbos Gelchasa writes, first thing to do is, one second, let me just make sure. Yeah, he says the best thing to do is to do it al-yideshinui. That's what he says. Of the list of priorities, that would be best. Second best would be if whatever, for whatever reason, I can, not everything can you do al-yideshinui. Sometimes you have sophisticated machines that require um, my hands to be able to do something properly. So he says, if that's not possible, if I can't do it al-yideshinui, then second best is if you do amir al-nachri. If you ask a non-Jew to do this on your behalf, that would be second best. And if both of those are not a possibility, then you rely on the opinion of the Rambam, which is of Maimonides. The Rambam says that a Jew would be allowed to violate a malachah de Rabbanan if there was no other option that was available to you. So those are the list of priorities that the Shmir Shabska Chasa lays out for us. Again, number one, for a Jew to do it ayide shinui. Number two, for a non-Jew to be asked to do it, which would then be a violation of Amir Lenachi, but that would be good. And the third possibility is to make sure that we have I'm sorry, to have a Jew, if none of the other two options are possible, then to have a Jew do it, um, to do a malachah de Rabbanon, would be something that we would allow as well. The problem is, how do we define a chola she'emos hakana? Who is included in a chola she'emos hakana and who is not? The answer is, don't miss it again for me. The answer is that a chola she'emos hakana is someone who the Shulchan Aruch describes as mutal lemishkav, which generally translated means the chola she'emos hakana is bedridden. Now, what does that mean you're bedridden? So I would say bedridden means I'm not going to be able to sit at the Shabbos table. That would make me bedridden. That would mean I'm a chola she'emosakana. But the Shulchan Aruch expands that description far beyond somebody who is bedridden. Says the Shulchan Aruch, Sarchei haktanen. So say, for example, let me just find the case here where I have it in my notes. Shulchan Aruch writes as follows. This is the Ramah. Let's say I have a child. We have food on the table for Shabbos. But I have a young child who's being a child and says, oh, I don't like this and I don't want that. Yeah, but you have to eat something. So what are we going to do? So on any other day of the week, I would make you a grilled cheese sandwich. But it's Shabbos today, so what am I supposed to do? So you say you're not allowed to. The Ramah says you are allowed to. But I can't make it. That's Bishul Daraisa. So what do I do? I'm going to ask the non-Jew to make it for me. But that's Amir Lanachri. How are you allowed to do that? Says the Shulchan Aruch, says the Ramah, a katan, a young child, takes on the honorary status of a cholosh she'emosakana. What do you mean? He's not a cholosh she'emosakana. He's not going to die. 
But we all know what happens when you have a toddler who doesn't eat dinner and then, or doesn't eat lunch. And then later on, they're going crazy because they don't have what they wanted and they're having a tantrum. Says the Shulchan Aruch, that's called a Chol HaShem HaSakana. What? How is that a Chol HaShem HaSakana? The answer is because the definition of a Chol HaShem HaSakana is when you can't function at your normal capacity, not at someone else's normal capacity, at your normal capacity, that is called a Chol HaShem HaSakana. So say, for example, let's say you have a woman who is on uh, birth control, right? So what are you going to tell her? On Shabbos, she's not allowed to take medication. Usually you're not allowed to take medication unless you're sick. But she's not sick. So what will you tell her? Well, not a big deal. Just don't be together with your husband on Shabbos. What's the big deal? And then that's the best birth control. You can't become pregnant. Is that reasonable? Why is it not reasonable? What? It's not reasonable. We don't say that. What? Uh, That's how birth control works. You're saying if you skip a pill, then you're going to be messed up yeah. going forward. Okay, let's just say hypothetically, right? So what would you, it depends. Different kinds of there are different kinds of options, right? So why would we say you'll get there? Mir Hashem. So why would we say? I'm sorry. Don't get me wrong. The aspiration should not be that everyone's on birth control. The aspiration is we get married to build families and to have children. There are times when the halacha says it would be okay to go on birth control. And that's what we're describing here. So the question then becomes, how is she allowed to take the medication on Shabbos? The answer is that's potentially defined as a chol sakana. To tell a person that you're not going to be able to have a normal life right now because you have to be worried that maybe I'm going to become pregnant and therefore I'm not allowed to be with my husband. That's an unreasonable thing to ask of someone. So maybe that's defined as a chol sakana. Asking me to do something that I otherwise would have liked to do. So Rabbi Nevinsal writes in his Mishnabur, I'm going to read you what he says. So what does it mean? Oh, listen to this. This is what I was telling you before about... Oh, this is really amazing. This is what I was telling you before about the Sakana's Aver. So what would you say? A woman has acne. And the doctor prescribed that... I said this in this class, right? I just said this? So the doctor prescribes that they should have Medication that is applied every day. That is a malacha on Shabbos. You're not allowed to do that. To put on medication with a shinoi is a malacha deraisa derabanan. Derabanan. Because if you do something in an abnormal fashion, that's not the regular violation of the malacha. So here, says Rav Nevensal, near Allah Nios Daiti, it seems to me, lahatir, I'm reading his words, lahatir le bachura, shiyesh la pitsaim bipanim, hamafriyim la lava bekishre hashiduchim. When you have a girl who's single, who feels that her acne is going to get in the way of a potential shidduch. She wants to look good. And because of the breakthroughs in science that we are so blessed to have today, they've come up with some kind of cream and ointment that is able to get rid of this problem. He said, I would allow her to take it on Shabbos. Because now... Her face is not functioning the way it's supposed to. Part of the function of a face is that it's supposed to be attractive. It's supposed to be beautiful. And if I can't provide that, it means my face is somewhat not functioning in the way it's supposed to. And therefore, says Rabbi Neventhal, he feels that would be enough of a justification to allow this woman to take the medication on Shabbos or to smear the ointment on Shabbos on her face because he said that would not only be Cholosh Sakana, that's more than that. That's a Sakana's Eber. 
That's the Sakana Saber, and therefore he says that would be ama- that would be permissible. That is a whopper of a Chiddush. Amazing Chiddush. Exciting Chiddush. Nobody here seems so excited, but it is a very exciting Chiddush. Yeah. Does the same thing apply to makeup? Like, let's say that like, you're not on any, like, medication, but, like, like you, like, putting on makeup on top of it, it makes your face, like, function in a way that it's supposed to. Wow. Didn't think of that. <laughs> Sorry. Wow. I'm saying if you take his logic, then you're probably correct. I don't know. I'll be in Eretz Yisrael this week. Maybe I should ask him. So. What? That's an amazing chiddush. That's an amazing chiddush. Again, there's room to argue on his whole chiddush in the first place. Yeah, I think it's a little... Let's hear I think it's a little bit of a stretch. Yeah, that's here. What I find amazing about it is the following. There's no way Reb Nevensal ever spoke to an 18-year-old girl who's struggling with acne. There's no way, right? So the sensitivity that he must have had to even think of this is amazing to me. Who went to Reb Nevensal and asked him this question? I don't believe anyone. I think it's just a sensitivity that a person has that makes them understand human nature, I think. To me, that's amazing. To me, that's amazing, Yeah. Yeah. That don't allow, I mean, you can get, you can't get pregnant. So would you be able to take those pills and go over the pill in a married woman? If what happens? What was that? If 